Hey guys, Ben here. Just wanted to give a little bit of an introduction before we get rolling today because we're actually going to be discussing a really sensitive topic. We will be discussing the allegations against Ravi Zacharias. Now, the only reason I give this intro is because it's going to sound like we're soft pedaling. We record these episodes very far in advance because of the sheer amount of material we have to cover since we're covering literally a book per podcast. And if I listen to this today, as of I'm recording this, which is the 10th of May, 2021, I would definitely think we are softballing what Ravi did, especially me. So I just wanted to let you know, we are aware of, of what Ravi did. The, the additional evidence has come to light, proving Ravi to be a truly manipulative, despicable human being that I can't say enough negative about. We, we still are going to go ahead with the episode because we do think there's some good content in here and that the ideas are separable from the man himself. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And welcome back to the Leatherbound Podcast, a podcast where two cousins try to become better people by reading big books. Today, no. you... no. No, okay, what? no, no, Again? It's Hunter. an audio seminary on moral improvement via literary masterpieces from the greatest authors, both oh my gosh. contemporary and historical. <gasps> I'm already in physical pain. I love that we start every show with me being in physical pain. So thank you for that, Hunter. <laughs> How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Um, it's been a crazy week. Um, and we have, uh, interestingly enough, Ben, um, we have been caught unaware, uh, with one of the selections in our first season, uh, that we have a long time now since we've read this book together. So, um, if you, I, I can't remember if in the first episode we go through the list, so you may have been expecting this or not. I'm pretty sure uh, we and did. You, you may even be surprised to hear us mention this person, especially in a podcast dedicated to dealing with the greatest authors, uh, both contemporary and historical. Um, but today we're going to be discussing a book co-authored by Ravi Zacharias, uh, which, of course, if you've kept up with your news and you know what's going on... Uh, the referendum, the looking back at his life since we've learned more of his sexual deviancies has quite changed the way we view this character or this person. So, uh, Ben, is there anything you'd like to say before we kind of like discuss a little bit more about Ravi and kind of get into a little bit of a discussion of what a what's happened real quickly at a high level and b our thoughts on it? Sure, man. Yeah, this one was a bummer. This one hit home. I, I've seen Ravi live. I've seen Vince Vitale live as well. Um, I, I've been a fan of RZIM for, for a while, which is the Ravi Zacharias uh, Ministries. And when I, when I found out about all this, it, it really hit home. So basically, for those of you who haven't been up to date, um, sorry we're tiptoeing around it so much. Basically, Ravi liked to do some, let, let's just say sexually immoral things. Th yeah, there was nothing, nothing absolutely as far as you might think, but it definitely was under the category of sexual assault. And maybe not even assault, but certainly harassment at, at the very least. It, it's I pretty say, gross. I don't know how much you've read on this, but if you actually go and read, and I encourage you to do if you have the stomach for such things um the actual legal briefing that the law firm associated with this study on behalf of rzm put together they accuse him in that of literally uh or i should say women in that in that scenario who seem to be credible accuse him of uh literal sexual abuse um, oh wow okay that is so, different than what i had read but I can imagine that a secondary source will not be quite as explicit. Yeah. Um, even if you uh, receive RZM communications directly, I imagine they wouldn't be. Um, 
but that's not to say Ben that to like take away from what you're saying. That's just to make sure people have the accurate view. But you're exactly right. No, no, I'm, um, I'm glad you're jumping in there, man, because that's really important. Right. And yeah, I want to start this whole thing off by saying the reason that this is a bummer. Like, if you if if you aren't really into Christian culture, you probably don't know a lot about Ravi Zacharias. For those of you mm-hmm. who don't know, Ravi Zacharias is the most famous apologist of the past eighty years. Is, is probably not unfair to say. And if you don't know what apologist means, it simply means giving defenses for the Christian faith. The word literally means to give a defense. And Ravi Zacharias was an incredibly well-spoken, incredibly articulate um, doctor from India. And he got famous simply by his incredible apologetics. And and just to give him credit, which which feels a little weird, to give him credit... I don't think you can have a conversation about apologetics without it being either directly or indirectly influenced by the way that Ravi Zacharias went about it. He he was yeah. simply incredible. And his best performances were one-on-ones, were conversations with people, were Q&A periods, where he would just let you ask him anything, and his answers were really incredible. And as you can imagine, when there's a figure like that, the fall of them is is just that much worse. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and, and like you, Ben, I am, I've admired Robbie's work from afar. Um, I never, I, I never saw him speak, uh, nor Vince Vitale, who co-wrote this book with him. And I think heads up the RZIM ministry at this point. I, I don't know that for certain. Um, and, I have listened to their podcasts and things, which I'm sure will become relevant as we discuss some of this. I've even gone so far as to take a course on the RZIM website before a lot of this was known, just to kind of see what that was all about. So, you know, um, and I think it's, uh, it's definitely sad, depressing. It's horrible for the people that have been abused. Um, especially that it's, incredibly regrettable and heart-wrenching um it's also terrible for the reasons that a lot of people i'm sure can point to points in their life where ravi zacharias's uh answer on some doctrine helped them with their faith possibly led to their salvation um you know there's there's going to be a lot of people that deal with this news and are really shaken by it in their faith um and shaken by it and shaken by it, but shooken sounds better. <laughs> um, this is a, this is a podcast about books, and words come from books sometimes. <laughs> um, so it, it's heart wrenching. It's horrible. Yeah, it's all of those things. Um, I think we want to also state something here, and why we're gonna, you know, the question that could be asked to me and Ben, which is an obvious one, is like, well, then why are you reading his book, right? And I think that's a fair question, and I think ask away. Um, the reason we are, one, in fact, is because this is what we're decided. This was the, this is what we've read before we knew some of this. There's some stuff we learned from this book that I think is good, um, and, and so we want to share that just from the book itself. The second thing is um, there's a lot of terrible characters in the Bible that are held as the hallmarks of faith. Um, David's one of those people. Uh, Solomon is one of those people. In fact, Solomon and David both committed grotesque sexual uh, sins. Yeah. Um, and Solomon had over 1,000 or combined 1,000 wives and concubines, you know. Um, now, that's not what Ravi's done. Ravi's obviously entered into these relationships consensually, and so has David as far as the worst stories we're told about him in the Bible. Um, but it's one of those things, it's one thing to know that someone has made a huge moral mistake and to still respect their work in another sense. Um, and I think I think we'll do a good job of explaining some of this today as we discuss through the book the limits to what we found in Ravi Zacharias's work, which I think is actually going to be more the main thrust of this conversation than anything. Uh, and Vince Vitale's work as well. Uh, not to say it's not good, but I think we'll, we'll get into that. 
um, mm -hmm. well, but. And Hunter, yeah. before we get off this, I'd love to jump in sure. and, and just kind of zoom out and say, this is kind of the same conversation that we've been having about things like Confederate statues, right? So you, you have a person who has done something, whether good or bad, and they're recognized for it. And then some moral failing is discovered. Maybe it's George Washington owning slaves, right? Should mm -hmm. we actually have a statue of George Washington? Right. And I think in these moments, it's really important to say, okay, what defines this person's life? Is, is Ravi Zacharias defined by his sin to some degree, but also his ideas are separate from that sin. Right. And, and just to, just to be absolutely clear, of course, we're against this sin. Of mm -hmm. course, we condemn in the strongest terms what Ravi Zacharias did. But we also want to recognize that his ideas aren't sexually immoral. Right. That his ideas are separate from the awful things that he perpetuated. Yeah, I think I might, I might put it like this. I've learned a lot um, from different sermons and things that I've heard from the RZIM Foundation. I've learned some things in this book. Um, and Ravi's sin has not changed any of that. Um, well said. You know, and I think a lot of that can be blamed on the Holy Ghost and revelation there. And so I don't even give Ravi the credit for those revelations. I don't even give myself the credit for those revelations. Um, that being said, I think it might be prudent in some regards to <laughs> limit myself in the time I spend in his work now that I know more about him, especially mm -hmm. I think, especially in the time when it was clear he was committing uh, sexual sin. Um, you know, I think, I think, but so to speak with this book, the damage is already done. And if you've read this book, you know, you've already familiar with the ideas here and regrettably, it might be the best collection of the ideas we have at the moment in Christian culture, which is not necessarily, um, I'm not happy over that fact. In fact, it makes me a bit depressed, um, and a little bit sad because, we essentially have to redo the work that Ravi has already done here or to have it accepted culturally. I want to make that point clear, not that it would change what it is, or we have to um, indeed relook at it and have someone move beyond where it was, um, which is undoubtedly the case. We would hope so, but we've lost ground because of this, so to speak. And by that, I mean like the church culture itself. I couldn't agree more, man. And hey, I, th I think that's plenty of time to spend on it. Yeah. Um, for you listening, Ravi's kind of a tool. Uh, no, <laughs> let, let me rephrase that, Hunter. Ravi's a tool, but his ideas are still worth talking about, um, even though we might show. be engaging with them less. How's that? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so yeah, let it, look, if you want more information on that, I strongly suggest you go read um, the write-up by his lawyers. It will tell you everything you need to know. I think you'll have more than enough information from there to decide what that means for your life. And if you even think it's a moral problem for you to listen to this podcast without doing that first, I strongly suggest you do it and you turn it off right now and you go finish that. Um, this is well, no personally, I would like to suggest that you continue listening, subscribe and like all the, <laughs> I can't help it. Um, uh, no, of course I agree with you, buddy. That's um, been showing their viewers what the sin of pride looks like. Good job, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, Hunter today in the podcast, if you're still listening, we are going to be talking about three of what we saw are the biggest topics that Robbie talked and Vince talk about in the book. And have we said the book name? Oh my gosh, we, we haven't. Yeah. Jesus Among Secular Gods. There we are. One of his most fa famous, if his, if not his most famous work, whereas people, people have with a, with a small degree of reasonableness called Ravi, the C.S. Lewis of our time. And if that is true, it is because of his oratory style and not his books. He is certainly not the author that Lewis was, but we have no idea what type of a speaker that Lewis was. Mm. But, okay, so the three main topics we're going to get in that we think are worth chatting about today are scientism, relativism, and hedonism. Three massive topics. And before we get into that, Hunter, why on earth are we critiquing the Christian writing the defense of the Christian faith book? Why the heck are we going to do that, man? 
Aren't, yeah. aren't we kind of just shooting ourselves in the foot? Aren't we Christians? Shouldn't we not do that? Yeah, I think, Ben, that's a great question, um, which you're good at asking good questions. But you and me started a lot of this program, if you will, uh, between ourselves because we were trying to find out the deeper answer to these questions. We wanted to kind of deal with bedrock. It's it's the main reason why when we started this, not only did we read you know good literature and things like that, not only did we read good uh, books on the Bible, um, but we also took the opportunity to go read The Moral Landscape by Sam Harris because we wanted to see if we had actually reached something, right? We wanted to, we wanted to attack it from all angles. Um, so one of the reasons that we're critiquing this book, and I think that's a good way to look at it, um, you and me had some hangups when we read this book. Not because necessarily we disagreed with the argument or thought the conclusion was wrong, but because we found it shallow to some extent. Uh, we found it stopping short of actually finishing the argument, um, similar to what we accused Sam Harris of in our last podcast, right? The reason Sam Harris left us wanting is because he never deals with the question of morality and why it matters. He's always willing to say it's obvious, right? Yeah. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, that's the experience we had reading Jesus Among Secular Gods. So what we would really what we are kind of asking for a lot in the Christian culture, Christian faith, Christian church is for us to take these questions with the right amount of seriousness, seriousness with the correct yeah. amount of depth and to answer them at the, at that kind of level. Now that's not saying that if that's not what you're after, that, you know, given all the stuff around Ravi and your, uh, moral problems with that, if you were to read this book, it can't satisfy you at some level you know with the basic arguments against uh secularisms right and i think i think it does that but what we'll kind of talk through further as the season goes on and on and we return to that idea it's better to be right rather than intellectually correct righteous i think is what you meant to say it's better to be righteous. righteous than intellectually correct sure um we don't know how this book necessarily plays into that so much. It seems it seems to stop short of really satisfying that. It seems to stop short of really satisfying that argument. Um, yeah, I, I think what this book does a really good job of is give you a bunch of fantastic one-liners. Mm -hmm. It gives, which is exactly what Ravi is known for. That's kind mm -hmm. of his thing is... Someone comes to him with a massive question and he had a really unique ability to distill it down into something really simple. And Hunter, I, I totally agreed with everything you just said. It was, I, I would say it's a good book. I really yeah. do think that. I think I rated yeah. it a four out of five when we, we, we had an app we were rating books on. And I, I think Hunter and I were a little bit let down just because we went in with a different mindset. We went in kind of expecting a deep dive into some of these topics and we got something a little more superficial than than we were expecting which isn't necessarily a bad thing but we do kind of wish he would have hit some of these topics more fully instead of taking a shotgun to all of them it it kind of felt like he was in a rush to share the gospel the whole time mm -hmm. he which isn't like i saying isn't necessarily a bad thing but when you're saying that you're doing a deep dive into the secular gods of the age it can leave you wanting a little bit towards mm. the end and also let me add we don't do book reviews that's that's not th this is pretty much the end of the book review portion now we're going to start talking about big ideas the, right. the whole reason if this is the first time you've listened the whole reason of this channel is to talk about big ideas is to grow at grow as men grow in knowledge of truth because we think that we can do that through the biggest books and ravi is certainly one of the biggest writers in the christian world of the 21st and 20 yeah of the 21st century and the end of the 20th so certainly worth talking about so hunter let's let's get into the ideas of the book scientism hunter do there have been so many advances in science mm -hmm. in the past 200 years it's unbelievable we have grown so technologically advanced and we have learned so much about culture so much about the earth so much about science Due to those scientific advancements, do we actually need God anymore? <laughs> Haven't we grown past it? Um, yeah, the the answer to that, and I can't remember if I've discussed this on the show yet or not, um, but if not, I, 
I, I'll return We're to it. so many episodes in. Well, it's, it's a, <laughs> it, I like this argument a lot and I think it answers what you're getting at pretty well. Um, there are some, there are some questions that you don't want the objective answer to. Um, and you know what those are in your life. The first one is, is your life worth living? Because if you want the objective answer, more than likely it's not. Um, if you want to ask yourself, is the spouse that I'm related to, uh, beyond the pain it would cause you, right? You know, to, to end it, but there's plenty of pain, painless ways. See how dangerous that argument is? Like it can get really, really dangerous very and, quickly. And Hunter, I just want to clarify a little bit. Yeah. When you say the objective answer, you're talking about from, uh, from a scientific point of view, the actual, you're not talking from an actual objective. Yeah, what I'm just to be clear. Yes, what I'm trying to say is like, of course, you could subjectively think your life is worth preserving. No one would say anything besides that. Um, and you could also say, well, because of love, hope, reason, and you know, God, my life is worth preserving, and there's some meaning to that. But if you were to like yeah. get the ruler out and start to measure why your life was worth, uh preserving and you got your height written down and your weight and then you measured your distance from the sun and you put together all the objective measurements that you could pull out of your life in the physical world you really wouldn't be able to answer that question and given the impact you would make on various environments and also the insurmountable uh tragedy that would undoubtedly be visited upon your children by your existence the the reason for you to exist becomes smaller and smaller and smaller now yeah I don't believe that. You don't believe that. And that's why you can't have an objective answer to that question. Uh, the other one is w your spouse, so to speak. Um, we all believe that we are married to the most beautiful person in the entire world or are dating the most beautiful person in the entire world. However, the objective response to that is not one that you want to answer ever because you will be in a <laughs> lot of trouble very quickly, right? Um, if we all had to compare unless katie's listening right hunter right 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 and right. then in that case <laughs> right we've we, well we've had i don't want to be compared to tom cruise you know like in a physical <laughs> sense you know because I, of his middle tooth right exactly but you get my point it's like there, there's yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of things about a lot of different men that are on the planet today that i don't want to be compared to on um and so yeah. there's plenty of objective measures that you can make about me personally that prove i'm not the most x person uh, however, that's not the way I treat my wife. That's not the way I treat, you know, my significant other fill in the blank. Right. So scientism is, it's also not the way you treat yourself. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I am the most important person alive. Thank you, Ben, for reminding me. Um, so scientism, <laughs> there, there are some limits there. Um, I want to start with, uh, this one quote, which R Ravi writes here. And I think it really goes, um, well with what we are discussing in sam harris's book um in short by denying god's existence the atheist doesn't solve the problem of evil he just uses the horrors of evil to deny its moral context and if hate follows so be it in christian terms that very denial of evil has everything to do with evil hmm. it's a really good quote um i think it's one of the moments where i most agree with the sentiments in this book um mm. but it goes to show you that um, you can be quite a. I think my, I think my pastor said this this past Sunday. You can be quite, uh, you know, the appearance of righteousness and still be completely distant from God. It's a good good way to stay humble. Um, so, uh, yeah, I totally agree. A little tangential. Oh, sorry. Were, were you? I was actually going to ask for your opinion. So you you've moved in the right direction. Keep going. I don't think I have a ton to add to that, but I I, I pulled another quote that is tangential, please, um, but still barely related. This this is an idea that I really like in Robbie. Mm -hmm. For all for all people to have equal value, there has to be something about each person that is equally true and that cannot change. What is it? And that that blew my mind a little right. bit. Just of th this goes back to what you were saying in the beginning is if we want to find our value in scientifically definable things, mm -hmm. we're going to have a lot of trouble doing it. And if we want to say that people have value, we're going to have to find a place to place that value mm -hmm. in. And any moral framework that I've ever heard comes back to the equal value of the human. 
And I, I never had thought of it quite from that angle before. Right. And that's absolutely right, because we studied Sam Harris last week, and in Sam Harris, morally good means taking away suffering from people and adding benefit to their life. And it's like, okay, does that mean my worth is now based on how much suffering I can alleviate mm-hmm. and how much good I can bring to the world? And, and we talked about last week, that would mean that a severely handicapped person is literally worth nothing because they can't really provide anything. They can't eliminate any suffering in the world. So not not directly related to what you were just talking about, but that's just a related point that, that I thought was really interesting. All moral systems kind of go back to the value right, of human which life. which is the Declaration of Independence, right? Um, essentially. Makes that Absolutely. same claim. Um, Absolutely. And it's not a claim rooted. It's a claim rooted in religion in the actual text of the Declaration of Independence. Um, you actually cannot have that argument in science, right? Because immediately science will begin to discriminate. Um, that is, that is what science allows someone to do. And it will do it in ways that are Mm. not, um, culturally toxic. It will do it in the simplest ways. It will do it in height. It will do it in weight. It will do it in ability. It will do it in all the ways that are undeniable. It will do it in uh, um, hue, right? It will do it in um, eye color. You know, it, it, it will do it in all the things that it can actually observe. And the question then becomes, you know, wh- what things are valuable? Well, height's not very valuable when you're trying to get through tight spaces, you know? And so it, it's a, it becomes a question science can't answer. It can simply record um, but, and if you are listening to this and you're thinking, Hey, I think my value is in more than my scientific biology, then the things that sci then science can measure. Exactly. And that's kind of the answer to the question we started off with is like, do, have we grown past the need for science? And another quote from the book says law, philosophy, love, education, justice are all built not on reason alone, but on moral mm-hmm. reasoning. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic. It's like you cannot, Sam Harris thinks that you can derive an ought from an is. And I don't think he made a compelling enough case to make me believe in that. And that's kind of what we're talking about in a, in a roundabout way is can you define an ought from an is? Because science can tell us what things are, right? They can give us the is. They can say this is like this. This person is that tall. This person has this color right. eyes. But that can't tell us what we ought to value and how much value we ought to place on human life. And I think that's all over our culture right now. I think tons of people are running around saying that science has made us grow beyond God. And they're doing that from, they're doing that with a set of theistically derived morals. They're doing that from the place that science could have never brought them. This is, yeah. It's like sitting on a boat saying that you don't need to float. It's like we've grown beyond floating. It's like, yeah, you're on a boat, right. get in the water. Yeah, no, this is that's a good that's a good point, Ben. And it, it seems to be the thing that the atheists and the scientists the, the scientists is is I can't get the word right, but this the believer in scientism, <laughs> right? Huh. Um they both they both want to take the religious moral framework for granted. And the problem with that is the religion kind of looks back at it and goes, well, you can do that, but we've gotten here by revelation. How have you gotten back there? And the answer is hush up. Yep. Hush up. It's obvious, right? And you can you can be comfortable with the fact that it's obvious, but the question always becomes, why is it obvious? Um, and so I, I think in a lot of ways we agree with what uh, Harris and Sam I'm sorry, what, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, we agree with what Ravi and um, Sam are basically saying back and forth to each other. And we, we find ourselves on, on the side of Ravi. I will say this, Vince makes a couple arguments in the book regarding science and how the world can be. Um, I think, I can't remember them exactly off the top of my head at this moment. I didn't prepare my notes. But in going back over them, what I remember distinctly is him basically making this argument that, there's only, yeah, this is it. 
there's only a couple scenarios that the world can exist in, right? And I think one is that the universe, uh, that God created the universe, right? Um, something like the universe has never existed, right? Or that the universe always was. You've heard that same kind of argument before. And I can't, I, I might be paraphrasing it a bit, um, but essentially gives three reasons for the universe. And you t you've heard this argument before packaged like that, at least. So I I'm close. Um, but the one I think that he misses there, and this is why I think this book doesn't deal with this, the scientific aspect well enough, in my opinion, is because he then said there's actually a fourth answer to that, right? Which is a um, string theory itself gives a cause for the universe that's outside of the universe, right? Which is what God claims to be, right? Essentially. And so just doing the proof that God... I'm I'm not following you there, man. You might have to help me out with that one. How does string theory? So, give what a string theory basically the says, and I'm not an expert in all this physics stuff, but the essential idea is that in order for the universe to begin, and it first came from nothing, right? Um, then which is kind of where we're at now in our understanding of how the universe began, right? Um, and I'm I'm going way fast over this, so I apologize to everyone. Um, then the answer from the religious mind is, well, that has to be God. And the answer from the, um, science is that it's string theory. And what string theory purports is that there are alternate realities, essentially. And those alternate realities can influence other realities. How? Who knows, right? But they can. And so what, what string theory basically says is, there were, it's, it's the same. And Ben, if you remember, we talked, we read a little bit on this when we did Richard Dawkins, God illusion, right? Is that how do you get to the, um, how do you solve the problem of having the one earth that can produce life, right? Or the one universe that can produce life? Well, you make millions of them, right? And so that's essentially, right, exactly. Yeah. And so string theory is the multi, is the scientific theory that solves a multiverse problem. Okay. Okay. Yep. And it's oh, actually okay. how Thanks. scientists claim that the universe can start from nothing, right? As far as that universe is concerned, right? It's a force outside of the universe that then gets introduced to it that then perpetuates the universe. Okay. Makes sense? Probably not, but it does. It I'm just not seems saying, so stupid. Like it, like right, it makes and sense. Not, and to be, to be fair, I'm not doing it with, uh, uh, the proper math and the proper answers, but essentially I'm giving you the nuts and bolts of the theory and you can just someone who has string theory before you decide to not believe in it, um, so to speak. Um, it doesn't also necessarily disprove the fact that God exists is the other thing, even if string theory is true. Um, it just it just shows possibly the mechanism by which he enacts the creation of universes, um, which is an important thing to remember. Absolutely. Um, so... All of that to say is Vince doesn't bring that into the book, right? And to me, that's a little disappointing when you're trying to talk about when you try to play the word game of how the universe got started. And I do believe I am misquoting him just a little bit there. Um, and then you don't deal with the science that's there and you claim to write a chapter on scientism. Right. Like how am I supposed theory. to buy into your argument? Yeah. Um, and I, I can do my own stuff there. And I kind of already have to some extent. Um, but you know, I, I want to read people that are dealing with that idea and are taking it seriously on my team, so to speak. Um, my brother is one of the people who really understands yeah. that stuff and really has, um, done a lot of work there, which may, maybe we'll get a chance to discuss some of that with him when he comes on later. Um, right. Exactly. We have a <gasps> guest. What? So, but, but anyway, I, I, I think that's good enough to leave it there just to show you one of the places where it was like, I, I don't necessarily know the answers to what I, the question I'm raising, but I know the questions out there. Why aren't you dealing with it? You know, why aren't you even acknowledging that it exists? Go for I've it. I've got another spot. My, my spot is less of a broad topic and more a general thing I sure. saw with some sloppy sure. wording in this section. So I, I, I pulled a quote where he says something to the tune of he, he is describing 
um, a non-theistic evolution and describes people coming together as an accidental co-location of atoms. Right. We've talked and about this some to between us. I, this might seem super mm. nitpicky for me to jump into, but I don't think yeah. it's nitpicky. I think that if we are going to attack arguments, we need to attack right. the actual argument. And we, cause when right. we don't, we're attacking straw men and attacking straw men is really simple. So Hunter, we have, we have talked about not attacking straw men over and over and over and before we did the episode on Sam Harris, some of the stuff we talked about was like, is this fair to Sam? Like, are we giving Sam enough credit? And don't look for easy points to score. That's what I'm saying. Because the, the non-theistic evolutionary theory is not that you are a um, accidental right. co-location of atoms, but that you are a happenstance co-location of atoms, which, which is very different. Because an accident... Which is hilarious because no atheist mm. would believe in an accident because an accident would require someone doing something Oops. and then messing up, which is a theistic framework. Like, so all that to say, it's important when you're attacking, especially a big idea like this, to not set up a straw man that is easier yeah. for you to punch. Attack the actual idea. We, Attack the we, core. We also might return to this some in Dawkins too. Um, so stay tuned for our thoughts on that i don't know if dawkins is a part of this season or not but we, we've read dawkins and we'll we'll discuss we'll discuss it at some point ben um yeah whenever that season happens. two so many so many easter eggs in this episode um but, so but the other thing that you have to understand the argument that evolution makes um is not that you are not created the argument that evolution makes is not that randomness created human beings, right? It's that randomness drove mutations, which were, which then those mutations survived based on their fitness in an environment, right? So it's not random, which is an important thing to remember. If you get my point, um, I, I see that point, man. I'd push back on that just a little bit and say, since it's kind of like saying your granddaddy isn't your granddaddy. It's like, okay, he isn't your father, but he is the granddaddy. If, if randomness yep. birthed the system, then the system is birthed out of randomness. So randomness is still the father. So we still have a ride. I think that's a mistake. And I think it's a mistake because of the way that um, Christian philosophers use that to attack evolution in a, um, childish manner and they'll be like how could random chance make all this and the answer is well no one believes that so who are you talking about right what they're what they're actually what the argument actually is is if you exist in a 3d space and you don't have a 3d body that's not random your body is a, is built to exist in that space right um it, it's the same idea as like you know uh why reaction times are what they are, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. You're, 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 you think that I'm missing the Darwinist element of survival of the fittest, that we aren't random, correct. We have and that, that's, that is, that is the actual argument that evolution is making, okay. right? Is to say that. And, and let me get to that and say your soul yeah, is still. Yeah. Random. That, because I see what you're saying. Sure. I totally agree. The five fingers that I have in my eyeballs right. would not be the result of just randomness. Right. But any value that I have. Yep. The fact that yeah, I no, exist that's, that's at all. That's fair. And I think that's kind of where, I think that's where the more interesting conversation is to be had anyway. Right. Because if you're like, if, if you're to say, yeah, I think I that's all, honestly the better um, uh, moral, uh, the better Christian response to that too, is like, you know, well, throw out the argument of evolution and all that to the side. Am I random? Is my soul random? You know, what does that mean about meaning? What does that mean about my thoughts? What does that mean about yeah. free will? Go down the list. Yeah. Is that all meaningless to some extent? Well, no, the meaning's obvious is what Ham Sam Harris would say to me. Yeah. And I'd be like, that's ridiculous. You're a line. <laughs> right. And so, <laughs> right. That was so such I think a you're making a good point. Up. I think yes. it's just, you know, when you're talking about, I think when people make that argument about random, randomness and then use that as like the 
golden gun or smoking gun against evolution and um, scientific theory, which sometimes gets mistaken as like an argument against Christianity, which I understand why it is, but I also think the nuance there is important. I'm going to put that to the side for now. Um, it, yeah. it, it's a little, it, it's a little immature. It's not dealing with what's actually being said by anybody. And I, sure. I hope I'm not harping on this too much um, because I'm sure we're going to talk about this over and over as we go through the podcast, but this is just incredibly in, an important thing to do is to make sure you're attacking right. the correct idea, because if you yeah. don't, that's how we get to disunity. Attacking the wrong ideas is how will lead to people getting offended. It will lead to disunity. It will drive people away from you. When you sit down with someone and look them in the eye and restate their argument in, a, in terms that they agree with, it completely changes everything. Every couple's counselor ever, <laughs> not that I'm married and have been yet, but will tell you that it's a good idea to repeat back things that your partner says to you. Why? Because you're you're letting them know, A, I listen to you, and B, I'm not going to proceed until I'm sure that I'm knowing what you're saying, until I've accurately understood. And hey, Christians, if you're trying to talk to people who don't share the same faith as you, you better be doing that. Because if you're straw manning them, and if you're making up uh, fake bad guys for you to fight and conquer in order to score social yeah. points, you're doing an immoral thing. Make and this is why right. we we read books by Sam Harris. It's not that we love it. It's not that it's our favorite thing reading about Sam Harris's idea. It's that if we want to understand our culture and if we want to engage with people, mm. we need to go to the source of the idea itself and actually look at the real idea so that we can talk about it. I because it. most people don't have the real ideas. Most people are living off of hand-me-downs. So They're living off of something they heard on CNN. They're living off something they heard on a podcast. They're living off 15 things they heard on the sitcoms that they didn't realize right. saturated their brain but have. So when you show them that you can get into the real meat of it, man, you're going to score so many well-deserved points because then it's two people having an honest conversation instead of two people you trying ever to want beat to, each other um, up. And be, I got to stop myself. Bed, you, what you just said is just fantastic and perfect. Um, if you ever want to see the example of that, I think in real time, go watch the eight hours of Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris arguing live in front of people and just see how they deal with uh, each other's arguments in real time. Um, I think it, I think it will they are take the religion out of it to some point. Although I'm, I, I, I think to some extent there's a lot of religion going on there. Um, you'll, you'll learn the benefit of being able to deal with your opponent's arguments and not what you think your opponent's arguments are. Um, let's move on, dude. Um, Oh man, yeah, yeah so we're forty something minutes in. Let's do. We kind of didn't touch on this at the beginning, <laughs> but it's not a, it's not necessarily critical that we do. The book is divided up into essentially an introduction, a conclusion, and six chapters in the beginning that deal with a different secularism. Um, we kind of broken them up ourselves, and so the next one that we wanted to discuss is relativism, which really sums up pluralism and to some extent humanism, which um, they discuss in the book. Um, relativism, you know, it, it, it's not incredibly interesting, but it's incredibly pervasive. Um, I think relativism, yeah, that is I think the relativism perfect way to say that then <laughs> goes to the sitcom argument you just made the most, it seems to be, and I guess, um, our next discussion too, will kind of fit in that regard. Um, but it seems to be the most, um, pervasive and it seems to be you know people want to believe that you know whatever your culture believes is right that's good whatever god you want to worship to get to heaven that's fine you're all doing the same thing it, there's no difference and the philosopher barely worth his salt will look at you and go well, that doesn't make sense you know and just just by asking questions you know on where they're explicitly different um it also is that same idea where we hear your truth versus my truth well my truth is i'm eight feet tall right? Well, that's not true. I'm not that tall. Um, and you can, and if you're, we can't have two different ideas about that. I am what I am, so to speak. Um, so 
I'll read this one quote, and this just kind of, I think, sums up a good way. So how we're seeing relativism in our culture. Uh, I think this is Vince writing. I'm not entirely sure. It might be Robbie. In her book, Finding God at Harvard, Kelly Monroe Cobor quotes a student saying, The freedom of our day is the freedom to devote ourselves to any values we please on the mere condition that we do not believe them to be true. Which is kind of what relativism asks you to do. Uh, you can pursue whatever it is that makes you happy. You can um, pursue even pleasure, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, you know, you just have to understand that none of it's true and that it's just, so to speak, your opinion. Um, ben, I, I toss it to you, my friend. What do you have to say about relativism? I, I, first off, again, love what you said. It's super per yeah. pervasive and not all that interesting. It's, you've heard, you've probably heard an analogy about a cafeteria. Like values are like the cafeteria. You want to, just like you want to see a diverse people set in the cafeteria, you also want diverse food. You don't want to eat the same thing every day. Not one food is right. Just like not one food is the right thing to have. So is true with morals. And there can be multiple good moral systems and all moral systems are great and fine. And that analogy mm. breaks down so fast because it's like, first off, try mixing ketchup and ice cream and you're not going to think it's all that fantastic and all that mm. wonderful that you had diversity in your menu. But mostly, man, it's kind of the ground rules. The reason that you can't have everything be true is because you can talk about mm. nothing at that point. The reason that every philosopher worth his salt agrees with the proposition mm -hmm. that something true exists is because you can't have a conversation about literally anything. If you're just going to say, well, that's mm. true for you, but it's not true for me. I remember I was talking to a buddy a while back who, who did some travel and had a blast. And, it, and we were talking about their travels and it was super fun. Um, and we get to the point where they were saying, you know, Ben... And then I got into this culture and I was like, man, their culture seems to have it right. I don't know anything about culture. Man, I, I guess that person's culture is just as good as mine. And all cultures, I guess, are. And I shouldn't judge any cultures. Hunter, uh, obviously <laughs> I replied to that in real time. Um, but hearing that, if you're talking to that person who's like, man, don't be so arrogant. Don't be so Eurocentric, so Western-centric that you want to judge other people's cultures. Mm. Dude, you're you're in your 20s. Mm. Like it's not right for you to do that. You know, honestly, what's your, this what's your response to show to? you that the ideas are not necessarily the man. I love uh Ravi's argument here which is he's talking, you know, in Hinduism God is in everything, right? And you can have two ideas be true at the same time to some extent in that in that religion. I'm not an expert, but it's kind of his argument and he has a little bit more perspective and he's discussing this with um someone in that Eastern thought, so to speak. And he asks him a very simple question. He says, do you not look both ways when you cross the street? And it's a fantastic argument because <laughs> it's, it's, it's essentially that truth yeah. matters and it matters so much in certain points, especially around the question of pain that nobody will deny it. You know, even in that, you, you know, you cannot be hit by a car and expect to live. Right. Um, and so, if it's true there, where else is it true becomes the question. You know, there, the rel the relativity of truth uh, doesn't bear out everywhere. So I, I think to your friend, you know, it, you, it's hard in all these different circumstances, especially when this is going to sound a little interesting, but especially when it can be hidden by your ignorance. Um, but those cultures don't agree on everything. Yeah. Right. Um, and maybe even your experience of them isn't a full picture of where that is. So you can trick yourself into thinking that that's true. The other side of that coin is some of it is true. It's still people. They still eat. There's still things that you can find that are recognizable between those two different cultures. But more often than not, there's something where they're going to be different on. Or even the people within that culture aren't going to fully agree. Um, so... All we have to do is find those claims that are completely untenable with each other. And then relativism begins to fall apart quickly. 
Um, the easiest one here is, you know, between Christian and Jewish culture, who has it right? You know, it's like one of them believes in Jesus as the Messiah. The other one still believes he's coming. Those cannot reconcile themselves together, right? There is no, there isn't a way to do that. Um, you know, the, the, um, Muslim faith believes that, you know, it wasn't Isaac that was the favorite. It was Ishmael, right? Unrecon unreconcilable with uh, both the Jewish and the Christian faith, right? Um, and drastic consequences based on that too, right? Uh, it depend All those depend on how you see the person yeah. Jesus. And if you believe in the Christian faith, you know, Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father by me. So right there, we haven't even begun to dig into it. And it's very, very clearly stated in the Christian faith that if you don't buy into this precept that is only found here, you don't make it right. You don't go to heaven. You don't, you don't get to live the meaningful life. Right. Um, so there it is. And it's like, who's right and who's wrong. And it's like, well, you know, they might be after the same thing, so to speak, but in not, but in not, um, how to say it, but clearly with completely different methods and those methods absolutely matter. So I think it's, I, I totally agree. I also think you have to be really careful when you enter into this space to be able to discern between yeah humility and laziness is, that sounds really harsh, but you do. Because there's a massive difference between, oh, I just don't know yeah, and um, I'm not willing to learn. You know, because sometimes you really won't know. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing with the internet, right? The internet has made it so terrifying because it makes you doubt literally everything you've ever known because someone can just Google whatever they want to believe and the next thing you know, you know nothing. Because relatively, you do always know nothing and you can feign humility and just get by with this argument of, well, I, mm. no one can really know anything, but it doesn't last. My, my favorite argument on this in the book was someone was, was talking to... I don't even remember who. Let's just say someone was talking to Robbie. And they said, I don't think, I think it's too arrogant for us to disagree with anyone. Everyone has their own truth, right? And Ravi said, you don't think you can disagree with anyone? And the person said, no. And Ravi said, well, sure you do. And the guy goes, no, I don't. Right. <laughs> and Ravi said, you just disagreed with me. And it was just like a really comical way to show right you have to disagree with someone like you don't get the option to say everyone's fine because just like we talked about last week, female genital mutilation. How do you feel about that? If you're going to look me in the eye and say, well, that's fine to them. So that's actually right. okay. Then I think you're a crazy right. person and I don't know how we can get along. Yeah. That's why this idea. So I, I think it defeats itself pretty quickly. It's one of those ideas, you know, that um, it can't stand up because it becomes so obviously foolish, but that doesn't mean it's not pervasive. Um, it doesn't mean it's not attractive. It's, it's very, it's an extremely yep. attractive idea. Uh, and you can understand why people are so, um, beholden to it. That being said, it's pretty easy to knock down. Um, yes. Moving on to next, if you're good. Um, another, uh, yeah. Hedonism. Hedonism. Um, once again, um, as far as the <laughs> isms that are taken on in this book, hedonism isn't really that interesting or that difficult i think even hedonists know that they are doing something uh morally inappropriate and would agree with that so to speak um pretty quickly and i'm not saying <laughs> all of them or even the philosophy itself but i i would I kind of agree. I would say yeah. the people who know that they're hedonists right um, would but... agree with what you just said Sorry, I, but I was going to say there's a lot of ahead. people in our culture who, uh, this is what you were going to say, this is what a lot of our culture actually believe and um, practice in a lot of ways, um, and don't really call it that, um, but don't distinguish themselves in a meaningful way. We'll read this one quote from the book. Um, increasingly, I, this is Vince talking, I now hear this from students on college campus, good and evil are nothing more than subjective evolutionary byproducts. Haven't you read Richard Dawkins? There is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. 
Yeah, exactly, right? Oh, speak those sweet nothings to me. You feel so whole inside. <laughs> Gosh. Mm. It it really does, man. It's it's so true and I feel like that's getting back to scientism. Scientism. It is. It's scientism like scientism opens the door to that a little thought. bit of Yeah, man. It's eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, we're going to die. It's There is no meaning to anything, so let's just get as much pleasure. And you might not think you believe this, but have you heard sentences like, mm. oh, I don't care what my kid does as long as he's happy? Right. That is a hedonistic thought. I, I know it doesn't seem like it, but what they're saying is the most important thing for my child is their happiness. I, I don't know about you, but I would much rather my children be good than to be happy. And I think there's a lot of people who hid Jews during the Holocaust who would agree with that sentiment. That I think Anne Frank would agree with that sentiment. And I think that sentiment is right. I think that we shouldn't go around just hoping our kids are happy. We should go around hoping to make people morally better. And that produces yeah, exactly lasting right. happiness, which we like um, to call joy. Yeah, hedonism is fleeting. So... Um, Hunter, what right, should exactly. you do with your life? Yeah. Whatever makes you happy, right? It's man? pervasive, and it's oh, it's one of those. Kills me. This is the thing about isms too; they feed into each other a lot, right? Uh, one of the reasons that you can have a hedonistic culture is because it's a culture based in social liberal values, which is brought on by scientism, right? Um, you can have social liberal values also breed yep. relativism, right? So they're they're strongly connected and unified and in some ways too, they um, grow stronger united. Right. And so it's hard to know exactly what it is, the thing that you're actually following after, you know, you could be using uh, relativistic arguments to live out your hedonistic lifestyle. Um, right. And so it's not necessarily, it's difficult mm. to know exactly what's, mm. what's awesome. going on. Um, but I think we, the the real thing about just like with relativism relativism falls apart because it clearly when it looks at different truth claims it doesn't have a way to decipher between them and in in a way that's comical as you pointed out with ravi earlier um hedonism is like well what are you living for man my pleasure you know it just it, it is one of the most it's the basis desire and we all know it right and we all know it implicitly at first it's way better to live for yep. your children. It's way better to live for the people that are important to you. And you can even define what that means, you know, if you want to from a relativistic standpoint. But um, hedonism doesn't make that claim, right? Um, hedonism spits in the face of that. Um, there's a lot of people that will be nice to other people for hedonistic reasons. Um, and it's important to keep that in mind too, uh, which is why I think the argument you're making about children is, is mm. such a good argument, Ben. Uh, it's the same argument people make about when they're un, in unhappy relationships, right? Well, he didn't make me happy anymore, or I wasn't happy. And it's like, well, you have to do what makes you happy. Um, yeah. that, that being said, once again, it's not that interesting. There's not a lot to say about this um, beyond what we've already said. And one of the reasons why I think the book at times uh, fell short of your and my expectations to some extent because we were kind of hoping this dealt with, not that these aren't real things that are happening, not that they aren't attacking people, but um, I think we are interested more in deeper ideas, Ben, and these philosophies quickly crumble, and maybe they are pervasive, but they're not uh, difficult to handle. Go ahead. Let me Let me say it like this, Hunter. If I was able to read an entire chapter without having to reread several paragraphs, the book probably wasn't that deep because the moment I start reading something difficult, it yeah. takes me forever to get through. And this was a pretty quick read. Um, all, all that to yeah. say, I think we both agree. Pretty good book. I don't know if you have an end oh, okay. quote like you I, normally I, do, but I actually found I, one this week. I have one as well. That I thought would be I'm great I'm curious what yours is. Um y how about I do okay. mine and then you do yours because it's tradition for you to do it. And by sure. tradition, I mean yeah, that's the fine. other two episodes Whatever works we've best recorded. For <laughs> Ignored questions lead to disbelief. Dismissed questions lead to disbelief. By doubting, we are led to question. Right. 
like questioning. Actually, that's fantastic. Um, when I was reviewing my notes, that's one of the sentiments I actually put after this quote I'm about to read you. So that's interesting. Sadly, because truth so often has right. been abused as power play, experience has taught us that disagreement goes hand in hand with devaluing. We have learned the trajectory of disagreement is from disagreement to devaluing to intolerance to violence. In fact, the opposite should be true. Disagreeing with someone who is being completely irrational is futile. Or bothering to take the time to disagree with someone should be a sign that we think we can learn from them, that there is enough truth in what they are saying, that with revisions, we believe their ideas can make a positive impact. My disagreement with you should be itself an act of valuing you. The thing I found really interesting about that quote with the context of your quote is how much I saw it at odds. And I think the second half of that um, quote is dead on the money on how we should handle political and religious and all kinds of discourse, right? Is more humility and more from valuing the other person and, and seeing them correctly and caring about answering the deep questions, which is really what your quote is talking about. However, this first sentence is something that gives credence to the postmodern idea of truth, which is sadly because truth so often has been abused as power play. Experience has taught us that disagreement goes hand in hand with devaluing. In a book dealing with the secular isms mm -hmm. of our day and not dealing with the grippling effect or the crippling excuse me effect that we see postmodernism playing out which i think we'll get to touch on further on um, we're not going to have the opportunity to say a whole lot about it at this point is really sad um and shows sometimes how even when you're out writing a book like this and taking on some of the um biggest weapons that come against the church in in the form of secularisms, you can leave some out and also feed into some of them. Um, and perhaps I'm not doing a good job explaining that point. Um, but I, I will, I will make it say something similar like this is that a postmodernist claim, and especially one based on like critical theory basically says uh, there's an infinite definition of truth claim. There is an infinite amount of truth claims. Um, we can't ever tell what those uh, truth claims really are because of that. They're all, none of them are better than the other. And because of that, every truth claim is a claim to power. And so I don't know if Vince believes that, and I'm not accusing him of it, but when you write a book to deal with secular gods and you don't choose to deal with with that secular God and you give him ground, right? To some extent without ever taking the chance to like knock it down, so to speak, you've let a small piece in. I'll say this one other thing. Um, I've actually listened a lot to Vince's um, podcasts and stuff. And I can tell you that one of the things you see in there at times um, is the postmodern, um, ideology in there at the bottom. And I think we see it in some of our churches there too, right? At times where we, um, where in our effort to not offend and our effort to be kind, I think that's it in a lot of sense and our effort to be kind. And that's how you can read that sentence a lot there too, that Vince writes. Um, we, we give ground to the postmodernist ideas and it's it's an an extreme attempt to shy away from the places where the church has gotten morality wrong in the past, and I I think the reason that this book doesn't do a good job of dealing with that issue is because there is some timidity in dealing with that problem, um, and I actually think um, next week when we begin to talk through some of Nietzsche's work and beyond good and evil, we'll actually be able to touch more on that idea and more on the problems that are associated with it, or at least begin to express some of that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I don't know how that goes for you, Ben, or what you're thinking there, but um, 
I can tell you that the first time I read that sentence, it it struck me. It made me very upset based on the wording of it and made me very. It's not because mm. what was said was wrong. It's because what was said was uncareful. And I think that would be my whole thing about this book um, from reading it mm. cover to cover um, that frightened me at times. So. Well, man, let's. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're at time. Yeah, we'll save Obviously, we'll we save more of that discussion that, for that next idea, week. We're at the hour. Or yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I think I want to open that up for further exactly <clears throat> um, further context in in the rest of the books we go through. And Chris right. loves postmodernism, so right. next week he'll have a blast talking about that. It's his favorite ideology. Um, Hunter, this is where I do the peppy outro that everyone is used to with the podcast, where I tell you to follow us on social media, where I thank you for listening. But here's the thing, guys. I don't know if we're on social media yet because we haven't released any episodes or created social media because we haven't released any episodes. But what I can tell you is my name is Ben. The other guy is named Hunter. We are two cousins. We're having a blast doing this. And thank you so much for listening. If you listen to this like it, review it, subscribe to it, send us an email if we've come up with an email yet. Just find us or something. Carrier Pigeon, whatever you need to do, make it happen. We promise to answer each and every letter that we get <laughs> until we get 400 million subscribers. So you have a week. Starting right, thanks, now. guys. Appreciate you listening to us. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs>